it would take something pretty special, you would think, for Lewis to walk away. I would actually put money on Lewis retiring before Fernando Alonso at this point, just because it seems like Alonso just won't, will never go away. How do you expect the FIA to kind of handle this as we move forward? Because he said he's not going to shy away and he's not going to not speak his mind moving forward, nor should he, in my personal opinion. In my opinion, the change to the International Sporting Code, the FI made over over the winter shouldn't be made anyway. It was completely unnecessary. Like Lawrence said, another race in Saudi then to follow that up. So you can see how it would snowball into something bigger. Katie George, Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, please hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Gentlemen, I know you've got a busy afternoon in the UK. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, Thank we're, you. we're actually heading off to Alpine later. We've had a glimpse of it from Silverstone uh, through some eagle-eyed people at the hotel there. But yeah, we're heading off for the final launch of the year. Uh, and then we've we've got all 10 cars. And then before you know it, boom, Bahrain, testing, first race, straight into it. It's crazy. Okay, so full disclosure, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon in the UK, Thursday morning in the US. So we've seen all the launches except Alpine. So if you're listening to us now, you probably know a little bit more than we do about what it looks like. But as Nate said, they've gotten a couple glimpses. So let's dive right in. Lewis was asked by Sky Sports, of course, about his future, which seems to be a hot topic at this point. And his answer, he said that he plans to be around for a bit. Uh, a bit is uh, hard to quantify, I think. So I'd ask the two of you, Lawrence, what do you think a bit really entails? Uh, well, I think that's entirely what um, is is being discussed at the moment between Mercedes and and, and Lewis. And I think, what is he, 38 now? Mm-hmm. So uh, if he wants a bit to be five years, it can be five years. If he wants it to be just another two, it can be another two. And I think Realistically, when he, uh, you know, the contract he's, he's negotiating at the moment, it's also got a bunch of long-term clauses in. He wants to be associated with the Mercedes brand going forward. He said he wants to be involved in their uh, kind of um, green technology going forward and also increasing diversity in motorsport and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the other areas that Mercedes have have an interest in. So I think there's a, a, lot of, a lot of that going on. In terms of how long he's going to be on track, well... I guess a little bit depends on what happens, right? I mean, he, he definitely wants an, an, an 8-4 title. There's no doubt about that. If he didn't, then, you know, he may as well uh, retire right now. So a lot will depend on um, on how it goes this year, what it looks like, if he, if he gets that title. I, I feel like he'll still continue because he has made this this big point that he wants to he wants to do more years beyond his current contract, which ends at the end of this year. So, uh, but whether that's two years, maybe two years and an option, I think is is... is probably fairly common for for a driver at his age and uh i think he also knows that even if he just signed a one-year contract if he wanted to stay beyond that mercedes would be open to it it's very hard to imagine a situation where mercedes would be oh no Lewis, you've had your one year on your contract we won't <laughs> have that. so um so i think it really is just quite open at the moment and uh and that's not a bad position to be in and both lewis and toto who of course will lead the negotiations from the mercedes side in, in those contract talks seem very relaxed about where they are with the contract. A few years ago, they signed it really, really late. It was during COVID. Uh, they, they signed a new contract uh, very late ahead of the new season. Um, but I, 
you know, it wasn't really an issue. And in the end, you know, he didn't really miss a beat in terms of what he was doing on track. So I think they're now at such a comfortable position between two of them that they could leave the contract until the day before the first race and it wouldn't actually impact the way that he um, he goes racing. And look at Fernando as well. You know, he's still racing around in his early 40s and he's not winning. He's not got a winning car. He's still got that desire. Lewis, you know, obviously he didn't win a race last year, but I just can't see... It would take something pretty special, you would think, for Lewis to walk away, you know, whether, I don't know, Russell beats him to a championship or, you know, that relationship breaks down somehow. But I I, mm-hmm. I, I can't actually see that happening. Um, and Lawrence is right, you know, his relationship with Mercedes is pretty good. So I think the only the only time Mercedes might start thinking, should we move on, is in a couple of years if, you know, someone like Lando Norris is available and they're like, right, we need to find somebody for the post-Hamilton era. We've obviously got Russell in but you're going to start looking at who you replace him with. But that's, you know, that's a long way down the line yet. So, yeah, yeah I think he'll be around for the foreseeable. I think Formula One's better off if he stays for five, six years. Um, so hopefully he does. Um, I'm not, yeah. I mean, Fernando's probably going to be staying around for the same amount of time as well. I think Lewis, I, I would actually put money on Lewis retiring before Fernando Alonso at this point, just <laughs> because it seems like Alonso just won't, will never go away. Um, you know, he d- never wants to leave. So, um, so yeah, but Lewis is still good enough, isn't he? Like he proved it last year, didn't win those races, but he still has that fire in him. So, yeah, I think we'll be around for a long time. He was also asked about the FIA's political statement ban. And I think one of the most impressive things about Lewis is how passionate he is about issues and topics that he cares about. And he's you know willing to go out on a limb and speak about those at different Grand Prix and use his platform in a variety of different ways. How do you expect the FIA to kind of handle this as we move forward? Because he said he's not going to shy away. And he's not going to not speak his mind moving forward, nor should he, in my personal opinion. But how do you envision this kind of playing out with the FIA as we move forward in the 2023 season? Well, the FIA haven't been clear on this. I think this is what is now becoming an issue is that, fine, you can come out with, you know, this essentially what is a, it seems like a ban or at least restrictions on what drivers can say. Um, and, uh they just haven't clarified exactly what it means and and what it will mean mm-hmm. if drivers uh you know come to a come to a race and they talk to the FIA and they say I want to make this point on the grid and if the FIA then say no and they go and do it what happens then will it be a sporting penalty will it be a financial penalty and um that just hasn't been made clear at all and nor to the drivers which is really surprising at this stage um mm-hmm. we're not that far away from the first race and it's a race in Bahrain then a race in Saudi Arabia uh countries where I think it is important to make stands on on certain issues and uh, certainly Lewis has made that clear in the past that he, he he'd want to make standards on certain issues in those countries. So it's uh, it's a remarkable situation really to 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 be in. And uh, I think it's important that someone like Lewis, who we know has a has a history of of saying what he thinks, uh standing up for what he believes in, and as I, I agree with you, Katie, rightly so. And uh he's now saying that look, no one's gonna stop me saying what, what I want to say. And he's he's in a position within the sport where he can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think I can't imagine a situation where the FIA would turn this into a, a bigger thing than it, than it needs to be. Um, because the negative headlines around Formula One, especially if it happens at the start of the season would be immense and would, would eclipse anything that happens on track. So I, I think, uh, that's a situation probably even the FIA don't want to get into, uh, but it's a very, it's still up in the air and it, it just shouldn't be. I mean, in my opinion, the change to the international sporting code the FI made over over the winter shouldn't be made anyway. It was completely unnecessary and it wasn't entirely clear what it was a reaction to. I suppose it was something or whatever that happened last year or, or some kind of statement which has been made recently. But um, but they've never been clear on that either. So uh, we're still at this stage talking about this 
Um, I think that, you know, the, the drivers have made clear that they're pretty frustrated with it too. Mm. And so hopefully we'll get some clarity uh, in the next week, really, because it needs to be because Bahrain's just around the corner. Yeah, there's an F1 commission meeting, isn't there, next week? Um, and from what I understand, that's a big, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of FIA related things to talk about, but I think that's the key thing. I think people want to go to Bahrain and know exactly what that looks like. So, but yeah, Lawrence is right. I mean, that to me, that's one of the most baffling, you know, we've talked about, you know, um, the FIA president on previous podcasts, but the fact they've just left that completely open is completely baffling to me because mm-hmm. they could have amended that and said, look, by the way, here's what this means in principle for everyone. You know, we've, we've put it in here for X, Y, Z reason. Um, so yeah, just bizarre. And um, I don't think I don't think they can risk a situation where, like with FIFA, when they said to the English FA, "Can't wear the rainbow armband," you know, the headlines that caused. Luckily for FIFA, there was about twenty five days of football that followed uh-huh. that. But obviously yeah. in F- Formula One, it's not quite as you know you'd have, like Lawrence said, another race in Saudi then to follow that up. So you could see how it would snowball into something bigger. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We've seen a bunch of different launches, I would say, in, in the process and the way things have been done. Lawrence, who do you think, if you had to rank them, had the best car launch? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I got invited along, but I think Ferrari's launch... Mm-hmm. pretty much across the board everyone's agreed is, is the best way to do it they leaned into everything that they have they have this amazing factory beautiful surroundings in northern italy and they have their own test track and they did it perfectly they got their fans involved brought 500 500 of them into a temporary grandstand by the track that they own send the car out on track what better way to uh start off a season and it was incredibly brave because as we've seen with other teams and as we know, these shakedown events or demonstration days, whatever you want to call them, technically the Ferrari one was a demonstration day because it was limited to 15 kilometers on track. Um, problems happen on these. You know, it's the first time a car goes out on track, small things that have not been seen in simulations, not been seen on the dyno and so on can crop up. So the car could have got out on track, sputtered about 10 meters down the road and stopped and Charles Leclerc would have had to get out and all the mechanics would have had to run down and push it back. But that didn't happen. They got it right. And it went out and did, uh, I think about two or three laps and then Carlos Sainz got in and it did two or three laps more, but um, it was such a great atmosphere and, and um, yeah, g- going there and being a part of it was, was pretty cool. We were in a temporary media center in one of the stables next to Enzo Ferrari's old farmhouse, which is this beautiful three story white stucco building with 
red shutters and a beautiful yellow Ferrari flag coming out the front. It's just so cool. And it ties into so many of the iconic moments in Ferrari history. I remember Michael Schumacher in 1996 when they first launched uh, a car with Schumacher driving it. Um, that, that that was the year. And they had this photo of them stood, uh, Luca de Montezemolo, uh, Michael Schumacher and Eddie Irvine with the new car on the track. And they recreated that again. So there's so much history there and they lead into it. And I think they absolutely nailed it. And I think it's just important to reference. Best car launch versus best livery are two very different things. So Nate, do you agree that Ferrari set the standard? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I was watching it and I felt a bit like a fan again. You know, obviously we watch those things with a journalist hat on, but I loved it. I think Lawrence had it right. You know, they they lent into the like the noise beforehand. I mean, they played the Italian national anthem beforehand, which, you know, I'm, I'm a awesome. massive sucker for that anyway. Um, yeah. And I mean, and Lawrence is right, you know, given uh, just remember what we've been saying about Ferrari and how Ferrari fans have been reacting to Ferrari over the past few years. Can you imagine if that car had just broken down on that first lap? Just how people would, I think people would have just been like, you know what, I'm not watching Formula One ever again. Um, so I think, yeah, that was great. And um, I think it it probably set the bar a bit too high because I don't think teams are going to start doing that, you know, every okay. single year. It seems like things have come together. But hey, I mean, I'm glad Ferrari did it because um, it's, yeah, it's rare you kind of tick all those boxes. So um, yeah, we're, we're a bit, we don't always get as many launches. Like back in the day, the launches, used to look incredible like every single year there was these huge big things that's the best one i can remember seeing and i was incredibly jealous that lawrence was out there i was sat at home in reading watching it and wishing i was out there but yeah it looked it looked mega and everyone who went said the same thing so good job to ferrari and hopefully this is the key now isn't it hopefully that sets the tone for their year hopefully it's not like well their launch was good <laughs> but nothing else was you know so hopefully it hopefully it is a sign of things to come but we'll see lawrence what kind of notes do you feel like other teams should take from what ferrari did well Keep it simple and and give the people yeah. what they want. People want to see the car <laughs> fairly soon after tuning in. They don't want loads of kind of marketing nonsense thrown their way. And if you can get it on track and you can let them see it, hear it, uh, you know, get as close to feeling it as possible, then do it. And so, um, yeah, we need to see if if other teams do take uh, any any lessons from that because I think, yeah, like I said earlier across social media, across other journalists I talked to, and um, even some people at other teams, you know, I think everyone was in agreement that Ferrari got it right. But yeah. as, as Nate just mentioned, it's it, it's absolutely no indication of how a season will go. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, I wrote an article about what a brilliant event it was, and then somebody came back and said, oh, I see ESPN supporting Ferrari again going into the season. It's like, whoa, 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 we haven't said they're going to win the title. Based yeah. On and I like that again, as if we'd somehow, I mean, I've been the biggest, <laughs> most disappointed Ferrari fan going for a long time. I think I think a key note to take for, for teams is only put an event on if you've got something to show. And in this case, Ferrari did. They had, obviously, their tweak delivery, but they clearly were like, we're going to do something for the fans here. We're going to make it special. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, look, I totally understand teams have departments that like work on these launches and stuff like that. But Aston Martin was quite an interesting launch because they had this long event and then they revealed what was essentially the same car, you know, and I think fans see that and they get a bit frustrated and I totally get it. You know, teams have sponsors and partners that pay a lot of money to be on the car and pay a lot of money to be mentioned at these things, but it just, I think, and, and Red Bull was a classic example, wasn't it? It was a long event. And then it, I mean, they did have something to show there. They had the Ford Red Bull thing, but it was maybe not what fans were expecting or hoping that they would see. So I think that's the main thing. If you're going to go big with an event, fans expect there's going to be something big. There's going to be a big payoff at the end of it. We I went to McLaren on Tuesday and uh, Ariana, the host from the very beginning, said, look, 20 minutes. That's all you got to sit through. We're going to interview the drivers. We're going to interview Zach Brown, Andrea Stella, have a quick video. 
and then the car comes out and i thought that's good because they kind of laid it out from the beginning Set the expectation yeah and it was it was clear what was going to happen the car was underneath you know a, a, a thing in, behind them so that was clear so um but yeah i think all of the others have kind of paled in in uh, comparison to the ferrari one well, one of the car reveals that was highly anticipated and always is is Mercedes in the W14. They had kind of alluded to possibly going back to an all-black livery, which obviously now we know it is, in fact. And it, I, I thought it was a very pretty, pretty car. But the bodywork, I think, is very similar to what we saw a season ago. And we know that they had struggles, Lawrence. So were you surprised to see the narrow side pods again? Were you surprised to see so many similarities in the W13, as we saw in the reveal for the W14? Um, not especially because they had uh, told us at the end of last year. I mean, throughout last year, they were being asked, you know, will you change your mm -hmm. concept entirely next year? Can you change it perhaps during last season to try and gain some of that performance back that clearly wasn't there for, from what they expected at the start of the year? So not overly surprised to see the car have a lot of similarities to last year. And I think it became clear as, as last season progressed, it wasn't really the stuff we were seeing, uh, you know, the visual kind of bodywork on top of the car that was necessarily the issue. It was what was going on underneath with the floor of the car and also um, how they were able to then run the car and they were trying to run it incredibly low to access all this downforce that their simulations had told them they could get. But as soon as they ran the car as low to the track as, as they did, it was almost an impossible ride for the drivers to deal with. Uh, it was bouncing around. It was mm -hmm. triggering aerodynamic porpoising, as we called it. We talked a lot about that last year. Uh, so we don't need to go into that just yet. But um, <laughs> all of that stuff. So it, it was a bit of a mess. So I think the important thing is that they, they learned the lessons there and then they've applied them to this one. And in a way, it is reassuring for Mercedes fans that they haven't had to completely rip up everything and start again because um if there is uh you know some uh if there is potential in in this concept that they have that's far better than going back to the drawing board trying to copy what red bull have done and Agreed. start a year behind or even more really because obviously all the time going into last season that teams had to prepare it the, the year before so that would have been i think more worrying if we'd seen a red bull copycat car kind of come out uh, at their launch, because then you'd think, right, okay, Merck really are starting from square one. Whereas now we're thinking, well, that if they can make this work, they can um, if they can get it on track and not have the all the issues they had last year and and have a drivable car, um, which they were starting to get to towards the end of last year. Don't you know mm -hmm. they, they won a race in Brazil? Then uh, that's a very positive uh, thing for them, and hopefully a positive thing for a competitive championship for us all to watch. And yeah, I agree completely with what Lawrence said about the. It being good, the car design stayed the same because I think the worst fear that people had was last year Mercedes seemed to be getting their head around things. Obviously, you know, quite a, a long way back in the championship. So that for them to come out with that, I, that that to me was the most impressive thing. I love delivery, but the fact they'd kept that that concept. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's any team that's going to outdevelop Red Bull, I actually think it's Mercedes. You know, still I still think there's doubt over whether Ferrari can do that. Hopefully, they prove me wrong. Um, so yeah, and and just on that, you know, in terms of converging, when when Mercedes were dominating, you know, a lot of the teams started to copy, you know, their concepts aerodynamically, their their concepts around the engine as well, and obviously we saw how that played out. Mercedes just kept this big advantage in front of everyone because, like Lawrence said, everybody, you fall a bit behind if you copy people. So I think it's positive for the new year going into it. And twenty one was so good, you know, when Mercedes and Red Bull were were close together. So hopefully. Mercedes can take that step forward and kind of recreate that because I think that in everybody's mind that's what you associate with that black car is Max V Lewis um, 
someone made a point like the last time that Mercedes had a black car was when Max got past Lewis on that final lap in Abu Dhabi. So mm-hmm. for me, it was kind of, I know there were other reasons behind them stripping back the paint and going to black, but it was almost like, right, we went back to silver, didn't work. Let's go back to this car that, you know, did so well for two seasons. Um, and yeah, just get back at it. So hopefully, hopefully that's what we see. Cause like, like we keep saying a three-way championship fight is, is kind of what we feel is so close to happening, but whether or not it does happen is, is another question. Remember what Daniel Ricardo said to us? Like sometimes there's some superstition involved. Like if you win in a car, you want to go back to that kind of livery. And that's why Red Bull hasn't made a whole lot of changes to what we see on their livery because it's worked clearly. And it's been an unbelievable car. Now we did get to see the W14 hit the track much like Ferrari did. Uh, There was some hoopla online about how the shakedown went for Mercedes and engine misfires and engine issues was thrown out. Well, we have the hard hitting facts here on (laughs) unlap. Do we not Lawrence Edmondson because of your contact? So tell us what exactly went down in Mercedes shakedown. Yeah. Well, um, these are closed events. So the truth is we don't know a hundred percent, but I have asked the team because in these occasions, that's all you can do. And I think the, the misunderstanding is that often um, when teams go and do these, runs pre-season they're 100 kilometer days and so you expect to see quite a lot of stuff coming out you know photos and everything mm-hmm. and yesterday in the press release they said George Russell and Lewis Hamilton will hit the track in in the new Mercedes and we only got photos of George Russell and then the rumors start to build and then it's like oh has the car broken down did it have problems uh and then there were these suggestions that there was uh, misfires with the power unit so Mercedes say they had a 15 kilometer demo day uh on the launch day so on uh the day when you first saw the car which is exactly what Ferrari did with their just handful of laps around Fiorano and then today so we're recording on Thursday they have the full 100 kilometer filming day where they're going to put uh more laps on it and um they said there are always issues. And that's true with these new cars. There are always issues. There's a huge amount of sensors and uh, electronic stuff within the car that has to talk to each other and um, has to operate. Uh, so it seems like they did have some minor issue, but they said um, it was nothing of what was speculated online uh, around P issues, uh, PU issues, sorry, power unit issues, uh, so engine issues. So yeah, uh, make that what you will. Uh, perhaps not the perfect start for Mercedes, but probably nothing to worry about. And the other thing is, is the reason teams use these promotional event days, these filming days, these demonstration days, because, you know, they're doing a demonstration day and they're not demoing in front of any fans, you know, as that kind of rule is intended. The idea that of that being in the rules is that you can then take a car, let's say, to an event in central London and run it down the street and people can see this year's F1 car in action. So obviously they're not using it for that reason, but the reason they do it, and um, you know, it's very much a sporting reason, which is uh, to flush issues out. So that when they get to Bahrain, they don't have, if there was an issue yesterday, that occur on the car, because that can take away valuable testing time. You remember this year, teams only have three days. So three days of testing. And if you divide that in two between the two drivers, that's one and a half days each Mm. on track before they go and race it. And that's not much. So if you have an issue which keeps the car in the garage for even an hour and a half, which is entirely possible with, you know, a sensor issue or or some kind of, you know, communication among among the car systems not working, um, that's hugely costly. But if you get it out the way on a wet day at Silverstone and, you know, you still get your 15 kilometers and then you do another 100 the next day. It's not really an issue. So um, so, so that's what uh, that's what they did. And by sounds of it, that's where they were. I mean, slightly auspicious start, you know, 
going out and perhaps having an issue of some sort. Uh, Ferrari definitely didn't have that because I was there. I saw the track. Uh, so I saw the car on track and then saw Carlos Sainz go out on track. But that's not going to win you a championship. As we talked about before, you know, these launches, these demo days, these um, these filming days are not the difference between winning a championship or not. Um, our producer Dave pointed out that Red Bull had a bunch of reliability issues early in the season when we were talking about this beforehand. And, um, and yes, that was a big issue at the first three races. But then Max won the championship by however many mm-hmm. points it was. So, um, yeah, it's uh, th- these little things people, I think, read a lot into, get very excited about. But it is part of the process of a new car, a brand new prototype, basically a science project on wheels going out on track for the first time and learning about it. So uh, that's where we are with with Mercedes. But I wouldn't worry about it yet. Yet. If we have three days of awful testing for Mercedes <laughs> in Bahrain, sure, we'll get worried about it, but not yet. Yeah, and Lawrence and I always like this time of year because, I mean, we used to run a live blog, a live text blog around testing, and half the questions we'd get, there'd be an hour in and people say, so who's going to win the championship? And you're like, we don't know yet. You know, it's it's impossible to guess. And I think there is this kind of, I, I totally get it because it's, you know, it's why it's what, with any sport you want to know who the favorites are and stuff. But um, I remember a story, Lawrence might have to fact check this or he might know the story, but I remember hearing that in 2014 when Ferrari, when, sorry, when Mercedes first fired up their V6 engine, it didn't initially fire up. And obviously that engine turned out to be the dominant engine for the next six years. I remember they were just, you know, they were firing up at the at the factory and they're like, this isn't actually, this isn't actually firing up, you know. So had that story leaked, you know, at the time, I guess people might be like, well, Mercedes are in trouble, which obviously they were like, no, it just, you know, I think it fired up like the next time they tried it or whatever it was. But there's just a story of they were waiting for it, great anticipation, and then nothing happened. So I think sometimes these things can be overplayed but um but testing i mean that's one of the great things about testing you can tell pretty quickly in testing the teams that are really in trouble and it's through the mm-hmm. mileage like lawrence said so i can remember back when mclaren were having that awful time with honda you'd have some of these teams doing you know two, nearly 200 laps a day and mclaren were pretty pleased if they got into double figures they're like well we got we got 12 laps today and you could tell that like this team's really in trouble because they're having issues they should be having at shakedowns throughout the mm-hmm. test um, and I think Lawrence is right as well to point out about Mercedes. I'm not sure if it was the same last year, but one trait of theirs every preseason test uh, in the time I've been covering Formula One, at least, is as soon as the, the clock starts on that first day, Mercedes is always the first one out. They go straight out, get out on the racetrack. Um, and I think last year maybe Red Bull did that, but Mercedes you know, went out fairly quickly after as well. So a lot of teams like to just, as soon as it starts, they say we're you know, no messing around. We want to get straight out there. So I don't think it's it's a huge deal. But who knows? I mean, if this time next week, you know, we might be saying, "Hey, Mercedes hasn't been out the garage yet," and then you start to think maybe maybe there's maybe there's trouble in paradise or whatever you call Mercedes. You know, I'm not so. Uh, maybe last year it wasn't quite paradise there, but um, yeah, that that would be that would be concerning. But right now we're we're, we're okay. I'm so excited that you guys obviously are going to finally get to see all of the cars in person in a week's time out in Bahrain, because obviously we've seen photos and you've been to some of the launches in person, but photos can be different in person, obviously, as we know. And so if you had to choose just purely based on livery at this point, who blew you away with their concept? Well, my my favorite livery uh, is still the Alfa Romeo. Um, It it has a lot of black carbon fiber on it and uh but it's that red and i think also the last year of alfa romeo i think like they've really gone to town and they've really kind of refined the cool like alfa romeo look over that time and uh yeah i mean i i love the alfa romeo brand it's such a historic one it goes back so far uh in in motorsport as well albeit the current car isn't really made by alfa romeo it's a it's a badging exercise but still um i i think that one looks fantastic um 
But I, I will reserve a bit of judgment, like you said, because um, we saw a number of cars last year start off with these beautifully painted, intricate liveries, and then they started just scraping the paint away to, <laughs> to save weight, which is obviously a, a key factor of why we've seen so many cars with bare carbon fiber on them mm-hmm. uh, so far this year. And sometimes um, carbon fiber is a beautiful material, and certainly when it's made to look beautiful, you know, if you see it inlaid in a kind of Ferrari road car or whatever, or you know, a Lamborghini, and it looks stunning. But the kind of carbon fiber they use to make these cars, it's not it's not there to look pretty. It's there to be strong. It's there to be strong in certain ways. And often um, you'll have different weaves of carbon fiber next to each other, and it can actually look quite messy. So I'm going to wait and see exactly what all this bare carbon fiber looks like before I make my final judgment. But Based purely on the photos and what we saw at the launches, I think that Alfa Romeo looks stunning. I'm just really quickly. Do you have five hundred thousand dollars on hand, <laughs> Lawrence? We might, to, we might have to dig into our Vegas fund. Actually, I, I know. <laughs> Maybe if we pull our money together, we can actually buy Alfa Romeo's launch car. Did you see that they're selling the launch yeah. car? It doesn't drive. Yeah. It's not operable. But there are some gadgets inside, and the wheels do turn. But right now, the first bid is at one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. And they're expecting ultimately. There's a couple of days left, I believe, in bidding, but they expect it to go for about five hundred grand. Cool. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's very very cool. I, I, even if I had that much money, I definitely don't have space to store it. But um, <laughs> I'm gonna put it. Just uh, get rid so, of your couch. You just sit in that. Yeah, and watch so TV. Just, just sit in the car. Yeah. I, I mean that'd be a great way to watch an F1 race. Just sitting there, turning <laughs> the wheels of your big Alfa Romeo show car. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I I definitely couldn't fit one in my. I'm looking at the dimensions now. I might be able to. I should be able to, but I'd have to get get rid of everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree with Lawrence. The Alfa Romeo was great, but I'm a sucker for mm-hmm. Ferrari, you know, and I love that they put the Ferrari on, name on the, the rear wing. Um, so I put Ferrari just ahead of Alfa, but there's some good liveries this year. You know, the Mercedes looks great. Um, I actually think I, I actually think Red Bull doesn't get enough praise for its livery. You know, I think the Red Bull, I know, you know, they kind of baited everyone with, with their launch event, but like one of the reasons they don't need to change that livery is because it, it looks mega. So um so yeah I uh but yeah Ferrari wins it for me. What about you, Katie? Which was your f- favorite one? I thought Alfa Romeo's was beautiful. To Lawrence's point, um, I'm glad that Mercedes went back to black. Like I was really nervous that they were alluding, teasing, 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 and then it wasn't actually going to be much of a change, which we were all going to be mm. disappointed. <laughs> but I don't know if it's recency bias or not. I agree with you. I think the Red Bull, and I was kind of irritated too in person, like. I can't really even tell like a difference. Like, could you at least change one aspect of it? But you don't see that Navy and you don't see that orange often. Um, and, and I just think red, orange, that's up for debate. But mm. I, I think that that midnight blue kind of is, is so iconic at this point. It's a really nice um, combo of colors. I actually thought the Williams combination of colors, they've got a lot going on more so than, than those others that I mentioned, but uh, I thought Williams was really pretty, but I really do like the Red Bull. It's become iconic, and maybe that's because I just like the ones that win. It's easy to I like the ones that get results. I think there's something to that. I think as soon as a mm-hmm. car wins a championship, I think that that look becomes ingrained in your head. You know, it becomes a winning car. Because mm-hmm. um, I've always wondered, you know, the, like the Braun GP car from 2009 was a great looking car, but I, I, I think that part of part of what's made it so legendary you know so simple you had that great like you know green kind of um lining but i think that because it won the championship as well it was always at the front you always saw it every race it was always out in front it it has kind of solidified it as one of those great liveries i'm not saying Mm -hmm. it was a bad one but i think it's because it won i think it's gained a lot of kind of notoriety for that reason so 
Um, and yeah, the, I think that's the interesting story about that as well is the reason it was so much of it was left white was because they were trying to entice sponsors to stick their mm. name across it. So you had this kind of car which came out and <laughs> you know it did have that. It was I think it was a really well designed and and, and cool livery, but um, yeah, they, they they left big bits of it white because they just wanted to say sponsors look you can stick your name across here. You'll have a white background. It will stand out, you know, and they were really willing to do anything uh, to just to get people to invest money in that team because after they'd bought it from Honda, there was, uh, you know, they knew they had a great car in their hands, but they didn't know whether they'd be able to maintain that and they needed money. So um, it's also interesting, yeah, how, how teams come about and how, how they kind of reach these uh, kind of, iconic designs that go down in history i mean for me the um the mclaren with the marlboro colors i mean really it was just one giant cigarette package going around a track <laughs> but with ayrton senna's yellow helmet poking out the top you know it just it just looks so cool so so cool yeah so um yeah i think success has a lot to do with how, how good these cars look this podcast is proud to be supported by jets pizza the number one pick in detroit style pizza why it's simple Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Testings right around the corner. We're obviously thrilled. Drive to survives dropping right in the middle days, of it. Right yeah. in the middle of it, right? On February 24th. So that's just around the corner. That has us excited. So I, I want to dive in just briefly here on Drive to Survive because we're obviously going to watch it here and we'll break down the episodes and what we thought and the drama, obviously, that unfolds. Um, because we witnessed it all. You guys on the ground for most of it last season and during 2022 season. You know, what storylines that you remember are you most excited to see play out on Drive to Survive? Well, I'm hoping they were in some of those driver meetings when they were clamping down on the on the jewelry and stuff like that in Miami. I think that would have been fascinating to see what the reaction to that was. Um, obviously, the Danny Rick storyline kind of played out over multiple races with him being dropped by McLaren. So I'd say th those two. And then, to be honest with you, the thing I'm most interested to see, actually, because it became a big story in itself, is is just how Max is with this series. You know, I think they've set aside some time to talk to him. But um, just following him, even if it's a little bit, during that that season when he was that good, you know, and he had so many things just, you know, f you know, going his way, you know, he was dominating. I'd be fascinated to see that. But um, but yeah, those cameras, it's interesting, isn't it? Because And Lawrence can, can um, you know, will have experienced this as well. Every race weekend when something happens, the journalists are like, who are... Who are Netflix with this weekend? And that becomes the thing of like who, you know, are they are they okay. here? And I think I'm pretty sure they were with Ferrari at one of their like really nightmarish races. I'm trying to remember which one off the top of my head. But I remember that coming away. Everyone was like, Yeah, they're with Netf Netflix are with them today. So maybe we'll get a Ferrari calamity episode or two. Um, but who knows? You know, I think the teams the, the teams obviously have a bit of a say in in the output. So I don't think we'll see anything majorly embarrassing. Um, but yeah, 
so I've just I've just listed off about four or five things there. So <laughs> haven't left much for Lawrence to come into. But yeah, well, I completely agree with most of those, um, especially the Ferrari stuff. I think that'd be interesting. But again, you're right. It depends how much access they get. Um, and I suppose the other one was right at the start of the year. Uh, Nikita Mazepin leaving Haas mm. and uh, everything that went around with that. Yeah. Um, Haas, of course, have always been such a, a deep well of kind of fun quotes and uh, shouting and swearing uh, for <laughs> Netflix over the years that I think, you know, potentially we might actually see or find out some stuff that we didn't know uh, mm. through that one. So I, I hope they go into depth on on that and and have some some fly on the wall stuff. Because I think that's the that's the real strength of of these Netflix series. It's, it's when they spend time with the characters away from the normal area of the paddock, you know, in their driver rooms or even in just the car going to the circuit and they pick up on the little bits of conversation. And when it's not staged, when it's not Christian Horner clearly knowing that the mic is above <laughs> his head and, and saying something, you know, quick and funny and, and all the rest of it, the, the best bits is when you get that honesty and that gritty reality. Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get a bit of that. And, you know, it's, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with with, with that series now because I, I think um, it, it is entertaining, but, you know, some of it is just trying so hard to push certain narratives. And mm-hmm. uh, I completely agreed with Max when he decided that he he wasn't going to give them any time because he felt that they were twisting narratives and, and making up stories. And it's not, it ceases to be a, a true documentary, you know, it becomes a, I don't know, it, partly it's a PR exercise for F1, partly it's a... Um, it's a kind of almost like a soap opera, you know, and, and when the characters then start to play up to that as well, I think you just lose some of, some of what makes it really good. Um, so uh, yeah, my hope is that it is that they, they pick up some of that. And then also just some of the profiling of the drivers. I think that's one of the real strengths mm-hmm. of, of that series. I was thinking of the Yuki Tsunoda episode they did in the last series. I thought that was very mm-hmm. strong um, where you just get to know some of the drivers who aren't in the spotlight all the time. So away from Max, Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton and so on and some of the drivers further down the grid and just what it's like to live this ridiculous life of a racing driver you know whether it be on private jets or in the gym or running around Monaco you know stuff like that I I find really interesting because um you know even a lot of people who work in the sport don't get to don't get to see it at that level so that's my hope for it but yeah I, I uh, hope we'll, they we'll don't exercise too much control from Ferrari's standpoint, even Red Bull's standpoint, because I do think the rawness of when things don't go well, that's what's so fascinating, right? Like I would love to be a fly on the wall in some of those debriefs when things went really awry for Ferrari. I mean, that's, this is part of the sport, right? It happens where strategy breaks down or you have to pick one driver over the other. Like I would love to hear how Red Bull navigated Obviously, Checo being very upset with team orders and favoring Max in those instances. I know that's it's difficult to talk about and you don't want to air your dirty laundry, but also like that's the realness of what these guys have to go through day in and day out. And so as a sports fan, as an F1 fan, I like having some kind of semblance of what the reality really is, what the pressure really is like. And so hopefully we we get to see some of that. I I I'm not super hopeful because I, I understand they obviously have brands to protect and, and obviously they're going to do that as best to the ability that they can. But I do think that yes, triumphs are very exciting to watch, but also, you know, when people have struggles, that's also a realness and the beauty of the sport, right. That you have to go through. So I'll be so curious to see, you know, exactly what's shown and what's not. And, you know, Lawrence, to your point, 
you know, Max was originally a part of season one. Um, and then, you know, the narrative quickly kind of shifted into Max being painted as this villain, I guess, on the grid, I think is a fair way to put it. And so there was a hiatus where Max really wasn't involved and and didn't sit down and do interviews with Netflix. Do we know exactly how much time he gave Netflix this season because he's returned in theory, but I don't think that he's given them full access to follow him around as much as maybe some of the other drivers, Nate. Yeah. So from my understanding, he's, he sat down for one session with them. So that's about an hour and a half, maybe an hour. Um, so it would have probably been towards the end of the season. So they would have known here's what we want to talk about. So I don't think it'll feature massively, but I think his main point was he said some things in the, whichever season it was that dealt with him and Ricardo, I think it was season one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And they took a lot of his quotes and made it out. Like, you know, he was kind of, he hated Danny Rick and stuff. Um, which, you know, he didn't like. And uh, I think that that's the main thing. I think that I think part of it as well that, that would be interesting is I think Max has kind of said, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you. And he's going to sit down and see how they use what he gave them. And then he might turn around and say, look, I gave you a second chance. And actually, I don't think this is any better. And then he might just say, he's the kind of guy Max would just be like, I'm done. You know, you don't, there's no, mm-hmm. no convincing me. Because what's interesting is that he had talks with Netflix and Stefano Domenicali last year, F1's boss, obviously, um, who kind of was like, look, it's in everyone's best interests if the world champion's involved. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that it'll, it'll be interesting though. And um, but it'll be a shame if he's not in it. And I think that's one thing to go to what Lawrence said about love, hate. I do really, you know, I've enjoyed some bits of the Netflix show, but I found it interesting last year that I have a lot of friends who, kind of got into racing or into formula one based on drive to survive, especially over the pandemic, they watched the seasons up until 2021. And then they watched that season for the first time. And then when they watched drive to survive at the end of, sorry, at the start of last year, about 2021, I think a lot of people were like, Oh, actually a lot of this isn't exactly how it went down. You know, you see that there's, you know, I mean, I remember in that season last year, they kept on making out that, you know, when, I don't know, when you got to like Austin, the only thing everyone was talking about was McLaren, the Alpine or, or, you know, Haas, trying to get sixth position or whatever it is in the championship, you know, and it's kind of like, that's not really the case. You know, people weren't watching that lap by lap. So we'll see if they've moved away from that. But at the same time, you know, I've been watching the, 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 um, the tennis equivalent that, um, Mm -hmm. that um, Netflix have done. And it seems like they've led into a similar thing. So it's obviously effective for them. And um, it's probably not made for, I don't think it's quite made for me specifically, you know, a a journalist who's been doing it for this long, Um, but it's still good entertainment. And, um, but the one I want to see down the line is I want to see what's ended up on the cutting room floor because you, you think about the amount of stuff they film. Um, I'm always amazed every, my main fear going into it and Lawrence probably can, can relate to this as well. My main fear is that I'm just in the background somewhere asking a silly question or pulling a silly face because we're in so many of these media sessions where they're, they're clearly using the answers to some of the, you know, questions at media sessions and stuff like that. But so far I've managed to stay out of it. Um, so that's my main fear. Usually I, I binge through it purely for that. I'm like, I, I need to know if, if I've said something dumb and they've put it in, I need to know so I can kind of, I don't know, get my PR strategy ready or something like that. But um, as far as I know, someone's watched it and I was very selfish. It was like, did you see me in it? And they're like, I wasn't looking out for you, Nate. But I said, well, you should have been. <laughs> but that means but, um, I, I clearly didn't show up. So I think that's good. Yeah, there's a number of interviews I've done, one-on-one interviews as well. And you sign away this right when you when you pick up your pass at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be halfway for an interview and then you'll notice this like boom mic come over your head. And yeah, yeah. George Russell before, um, uh, you know, when he was at Williams about to move to Mercedes. I think he'd just moved to Mercedes. And then again with uh, Gunter, I was actually doing some, some work uh, for Nate's article about the Mazepin situation at the start mm-hmm. of the year. And again, the same thing, kind of like camera turned up, boom mic came in. Uh, so with the George one, they, they obviously... 
the answers weren't interesting enough. The questions weren't good enough, didn't make it into it. But it does make you realize as well how much, uh, how, like Nate says, how much content they they get and, and how much stuff there is. And um, yeah, to be able to pick through some of that. And of course, the most interesting bits would be the bits the team says, uh, 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 you're not putting that bit in, you're not having so-and-so right. saying that or yeah. looking at the camera like that. You know, uh, that, that would be um, fascinating to get hold of. But I guess that's going to be locked away uh, indefinitely. Well, I've been for beers with, I've been for beers with a team press officer that I know quite well, and he just said um, after he'd had a couple beers, he didn't tell me, he didn't tell me you know anything privileged, but he was like, he was like, dude, if you could see some of the stuff that doesn't make it in, and I was just like, man, like that's almost the show you want to see. Then for sure. you totally understand why, you know, they've, you know, they've got to kind of maintain that kind of difficult relationship with F one. The teams are giving them the access, so you can't just turn around and be like. Yeah, as much as we'd like that, it's put them in a difficult position. So um, it's a shame. So um, I hope that I hope that knowledge doesn't ruin people watching it this time around. But to your point, Nate, about your friends watching it and kind of feeling like it was a different representation of what they remember going through the season live with all the access that you guys say that they have. I will say the last season I thought was pretty frustrating um, in the event that it felt like they just kept going over the same few races over and over and over again. And I just felt like there has been kind of a decline from a production standpoint. And also I'm not an editor. I don't produce shows. So it's easy for me to sit over here in my ivory tower and make criticisms. But it felt like it got a little lazy, you know, as we've gone yeah, in terms of what they've shown. And so, I, you know, as a, a fan sitting at home, I wondered, well, is the access dwindling a little bit? And so they don't have as much to show. But seems like they're well, filming anything and everything and then you wonder you know how much are they allowed to show based on what you guys mentioned with the teams coming in and f1 coming in and saying you know this needs to be a good representation of of our product so it's it's hard to know what to believe and what not but I, I hope that we get to see a variety of different races in this season because there were so many fascinating ones last season and we get to see all angles right all teams, all drivers represented um, because I, I feel like last season that was missing. Yeah, no, that, I think that's spot on. And um, I think the lazy, yeah, lazy, I think lazy is probably a good way to put it. I mean, the one that really, though. it is tough. And I, yeah, like you said, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know the first thing about editing that stuff, but one moment that stood out for me that I thought was just unnecessary was the way they cut around the, the Grosjean crash when that happened, that episode they had, they, they made mm -hmm. it, you know, they, they added all this dramatic music and they made it seem like Grosjean was in the car for like three minutes, you know, and, you know, there's all this drama. And it's like, just let that play out how it, hap how it happened because it was, it was incredible the way that played out and it was dramatic enough. And yet they added all these different scenes and a driver actually said to me once off record, he said, he was like, why did they take the most like dramatic and unique thing that's ever happened in Formula One and kind of stretch that out the way they did? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes you can, you can be too obsessed with the storyline and the the desire for like a, a dramatic moment or whatever it is that it can you can lose track because like you said katie like it did seem like they kept going back to the well almost like it's like right we'll go back to this this race we've got this footage of norris like locking up and going wide we'll go back to that again for the fifth time it's like well you must have more stuff so but um but we'll see hey you know new series might be great so i don't want to we'll, we'll probably be doing the next episode being like best series we've ever seen no, no, I know. <laughs> completely completely revising our opinions who knows so next week, okay, just to tease ahead, we will have our reactions to some of the episodes. I don't know if we can all three get through all of them. Um, challenge accepted on my end. I don't have much going on on Sunday. Well, it's so it's we'll a good see. challenge. Now, now there's no NFL on, Katie. I need to watch something on my Sunday. Exactly. Exactly. So but. maybe we do binge the whole entire season. 
and we can break things down for you. But we will have reaction episodes starting next week as the guys get ready to head to Bahrain because testing is right around the corner. You guys have fun at Alpine tonight. Um, Can't wait to see your all's reactions online and on ESPN.com. As always, thank you for your insight. It's great being with you guys. This was another show of Unlapped. Give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast and make sure you subscribe to ESPN F1 on YouTube. Peace.